you know, it's, it's funny. My, the reason I have a chair and a table, I don't like anything in front of me when I talk. I, I, I like to, like, come out. But a, a table helps, or a chair helps me slow down. My wife always says, you move too much, Chris. You need to slow down. And I was a tennis player. I was a tennis player, so I, I like tending. She's afraid I'd fall off the stage. So I, it kind of helps me. Um, uh, I get a little wound up sometimes. But I'm thankful that you're here. I know, Steve. I love it, man. You, you always, I always like those people that talk to me. Thank you, Steve. Um, you know, I'm thankful to be here. We're in, the, we're in Nehemiah 6 and 7. And um, it's so important. It's so important to understand this concept in Scripture. Because it, Nehemiah 6 is when the temple, or, or excuse me, the, the city of Jerusalem had, was rebuilt. And you know, it's, it's easy to look at this Old Testament moment and go, ah, you know, how does that apply to where we are? But it's so incredibly relevant. And because the city of Jerusalem, all through history, what does, it, what does it do? It, it, it points the world to a Savior. Like, to this day, that's, that's what the world understands when they think about Jerusalem. That's where Jesus entered. It was out of Jerusalem that the, that the cross took place, and that, the cross was the, that's the focal point of human history, right? And, and, and so in... In God's divine plan, it was a travesty because God's people had rebelled and the city had been destroyed, but these prophets had spoken and the city was prophesied to be rebuilt. And in Nehemiah 6, that's when it took place. Now, we got to understand the, the reality that what that did is after Nehemiah, there was this 400-year period of prophetic silence and then then Jesus entered the world. But to this day, we're to, we're to recognize, and, and you see salvation being proclaimed to the world as people look at Jerusalem. When you think about the salvation message, that's the gospel message, that's the only hope of humanity. I mean, that's only your, your hope, my hope. That's, that's what gives us confidence when these bodies die. Generation after generation needs the message of a Savior. Now, as we understand Nehemiah 6 and 7, I want to do something a little different today. I want us to look at Psalm 122. Now, keep your finger in Nehemiah 6 and 7 because we're really going to be there. But but I think as this week as I was looking at Psalm 122, the Lord really spoke to me because I think Psalm 122 illustrates why this city was so important and why we should like kind of marvel today at what, and, and lean into what God is saying to us today. Now, you got to realize this was a Psalm of David, which took place way before the city was destroyed and way before it needed to be rebuilt. But I think, it's, I think it really gives us some, a good illustration of why Jerusalem is so important. So if you'd stand with me, it's a practice we have of Psalm 122. And let's look at this. And I want you to kind of pay attention as we read the psalm to the, the way the city of Jerusalem points to a Savior. Verse 1, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem, built as a city that is bound firmly together to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. There the thrones for judgment were set. The thrones of the house of David pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. 
And this is the word of the Lord. Thank you. Maybe see now. Now, just let's think about it for a second. When you look at the psalm in verses one through four, you you, you see how the world needs the Lord. You see how 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 the world is in desperately desperate need of a savior, and it's in the the tribes of the Lord come together. It says, and this was dis- decreed for Israel, and 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 they give thanks to the Lord for all that He's done. All the Lord's doing and all the Lord has done. Then you see in verse 5 something very important and interesting. There in Jerusalem, their thrones for judgment were set. You know, it's, it, it's interesting how Jerusalem reminds us that judgment is coming. Now, now, there's a lot of preachers that get criticism. Oh, you're like one of those hellfire and brimstone preachers, right? And, and you preach about judgment. Well, let me tell you something. Judgment's coming. Okay, it is. And the, rea- and the fact that we know that is this beautiful act of the grace of God. God loves you so much that he warned the world, he pointed the world to this fact that judgment was a reality, is a reality. That that, that, that awaits every human, everyone will stand before God. The Bible's clear on this. And, and, and God is so gracious, he prepares us for that. And it's Jerusalem that the world recognizes this. So this is why it was so important for Jerusalem to be rebuilt. And I think it's interesting. He says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be, be secure who love you. You, you know that it's, you're secure when you come to God, when you come to Christ. That brings security in your life, security in, in, in the first breath and your last breath, right? There's security in this. And I love verse 8, and, and I often read evangelism into the life of the Scriptures because I just, that drives my heart. I want people to know Christ. Uh, for the sake of my brothers, for my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, peace be within you. You hear the heart of God here. You hear the heart of, oh, for all those that I know, oh, don't you see the Savior that's coming out of Jerusalem? And then I just see here how people need Jesus. So now let's come back to this, this I love verse 1. This morning, I, I just leaned in. I was just really, I'm really grateful for verse 1 of Psalm 122. I'm, I'm glad to come to the house of the Lord today. I'm glad. Oh, don't we need our church family? Don't we need this? Don't we need one another? Oh, my goodness, I'm glad. I mean, I mean if you're not, we, you need a church family. And if this isn't your church family, if you're struggling to connect here, let us help you find a church family because you need a church family. Oh, you need one. Honestly, people who live without a church family are, are missing out on so much. And I, um, um, you know, this has been a heavy season for us, hasn't it? I mean, you know, they tell you when you're, when you're going to preacher school, if you will, you're going to do some funerals. You know what they, they skipped over in my class? That these funerals you do, they're going to be from people you love, like of people you love and people that you've been hanging out with. And, um, and you know, tomorrow will be our second, second COVID funeral in four days in our church. And... I don't know, I, I, I think about the job tensions and these vaccine mandates that are all out there and inflation and transitions. There, there's other people I love that have all kinds of health crises that we're seeing. And, but, but you know what we're also seeing in the midst of it all, in the midst of all the tensions, we're watching God work. Like today, oh my goodness, in, in an hour and a half or an hour, in an hour, we're gonna, we're gonna see for the first time in really the, in our church's history, an evangelistic weekly outreach to Spanish-speaking people in our city. That starts in an hour in our church. How cool is that? 
in the midst of the tensions, we're, we're seeing people saved in our church. We're seeing God move. And, and, and I'll tell you, I, I, just, I just am so excited to see God move in front of our eyes. And that's what's going on in Nehemiah 6 and 7. Because God's at work in the midst of these tensions. Because we saw in chapters 1 and 2 that Nehemiah was this man of prayer. And he, and he was walking with the Lord. He was like Ezra, leaning into the Lord, studying the law of God. And he started to do the law of God. And then, then God said, hey, Nehemiah, it's you. You're going to join me where, you're, where I'm working. And you're going to be a part of rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. And he did that, and he was this interesting man of God. You saw in, in chapters 3 and 4 how Nehemiah faced these threats from the outside, and there was all these, there, guess when you follow the Lord, guess what? There are threats, there are challenges, there's opposition. But then we saw in Nehemiah 5 yesterday, or last week, that in the midst of the threats from the outside, there were tensions from the inside, there were fights internally, and there were mistakes that God's people made internally, which is just the reality of life. We make mistakes, don't we? Even in our church family, we make mistakes, and we fall short. But in spite of all those tensions, God's people, what do they do? They come together in Nehemiah chapter 6, and they experience the Lord. They join the Lord where he's working, and they experience the exact fulfillment of a prophecy in specifically Isaiah 44 and 45, Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34, Jeremiah 25, 12, 29, 10. And, and God's people could say, like they said in the times of David, because God used Nehemiah, Ezra and Nehemiah to build the altar and build the temple, God's people could once again uh, say, like Psalm 122 says, I was glad when they said, let us go to the house of the Lord. They did that. And look at what happened. Look at, if you turn to Nehemiah 6. Let's look at this. Because let's look at what happened. Look at verse 15 in Nehemiah 6. So the wall was finished. On the 25th day of the month of Elul, in 52 days, they built that wall. And when all, look at, the, look at verse 16. When all our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly into their own esteem, for they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. And I think it's significant to notice all through history, people, all races, all nations of every tribe, of every language, really when you understand the history of the world, you look at Jerusalem and go, that's a work of God. Right? That's why Jerusalem was so important. And this is huge. That, that, and I think about this, like, don't you want to be a part of a of when God moves among his people, uh, in spite of the challenges, in spite of the tensions, in spite of the circumstances, you really get to the end and go, God worked there. God moved there. Don't you want to be a part of a church where you say, God moved here. Oh my goodness, God did this. I don't want to be a part of a church that says, look what we did. Look what God did. Because the world needs Jesus. And and, and, you know, the, the hope that is found in, in, in the world, in life, in death, is in Christ. And in, in this amazing passage of Scripture, God, God's people, think about this, they had been completely hopeless and helpless without any power to go build the altar and build the temple. And then God moved among these Persian leaders and used Ezra, used Nehemiah, and now the work of the, of the, of, of the altar and the work of the temple were completed. And they were like, oh my goodness, God kept his word. And let me tell you something, God keeps his word. Here we are in 2021. And what has God said? Hey, uh, like Ezra's time and Nehemiah's time was important because they were setting the stage for Jesus to come the first time. Guess what we're doing? We're a part of God's plan in the world, setting the stage for Jesus to come the second time. And I think it's cool. And, but, but what's interesting is, is Let's remember this. We see this. As the people of God, we are never hopeless, right? We're never hopeless. It's a devastating thing to be hopeless. 
And there are many people that are hopeless. And maybe you have come today, and if you're really honest with yourself and with God, you're, you're hopeless today. But, it, but it's interesting as we think about humanity, uh, human beings are wired to be forward-looking. We're wired to look ahead and go, Lord, what are you doing? We're, what are you doing in eternity? Ecclesiastes 3.11 says that God has woven eternity in the hearts of man. We look to things that, God, are you at work in my life? And we're thinking about the future. And, and this is why I think it's important for us to understand Jerusalem in light of the Scripture. We've got to put on some biblical glasses today. Um, and, and because we can navigate all of our challenges with biblical glasses, seeing the world through the, the Word of God. And, and I believe this with all my heart, that, that, that a biblical vision for your life a biblical vision for your family, a biblical vision for our church will in the end be completely true. Completely. And, and right here you see God's people had finished the altar, they had finished the temple walls. And, and, and here's what's interesting. They had completed this work, but, but notice this, their work was not done. They finished the walls of the city. They finished... Uh, you, they finished this task, but their work was not done. And that's something to, that I believe we will see for the rest of our journey. We'll complete a task, but our work will not be done. And, and, and think about the cross. Jesus on the cross completed the, the greatest work of human history. I mean, I mean, the cross was the focal point of human history. But think about this. Even after Jesus died and he rose from the dead and on, his, on the cross he defeated Satan. He defeated sin. He took the sting out of death. He did all these things, but, but then after the cross, he rose from the dead, and what did he say to his disciples? you got more work to do. you got some work to do. And here we're still continuing that work leading up to the second coming of Christ, and, and we're in the middle of this, uh, this work of God, sharing the gospel with the world, and guess what? We're not done. we got more steps to take, and I have a friend that I serve on the IMB board with, and he's super smart. He's a pastor in North Carolina, and he just, I just bought his book, and Andy Davis is his name, and he just wrote this book called The Glory Revealed. You ought to write that down. It's about heaven. It's called The Glory Revealed, and it just came out, I think, this week. I bought it uh, this week, but, but Andy makes a, makes a point about heaven that I think is really, really interesting. He, he talks about that, that we, we kind of have a false idea of heaven, that, that heaven is just going to be, we're going to sing all the time. You heard that? Well, we're going to sing for a thousand million years, you know. Uh, have you heard Brad Ayler sing? That doesn't sound like heaven to me, okay? Uh, I mean, come on. I, I, I think that's a weird idea. Are we going to praise the Lord in heaven? Yeah, absolutely. But, but come on, we gotta, we gotta, the Bible's clearer about heaven. Andy breaks down some scriptures. You know what he says? He makes this argument about heaven that I think is really fascinating and interesting. I agree with him that, that in heaven, we will have more to do. There's more to do in heaven. It's going to be better than you think. And this is the hope we have in Christ. And, and, and I think it's interesting as you think about this next step. And, and let's lean into verse 1 of Nehemiah 6. Look at this. In, in verse 1 of Nehemiah chapter 6, when Sambalat and Tobiah, Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies heard that I had rebuilt the wall and no gap was left in it, though at that time I had not installed the doors in the gates, and let's pay attention here the, the, to the progress, the work's going forward, the breaches are closed, but the gates hadn't been put in place, there's more work to be done, that's something to lean into today. Look at verse 2, Sam Ballad and Geshem sent to me a message, come let's meet together in the villages of the Ono Valley. Look what Nehemiah says, but they were planning to harm me, he says. Now, now, I know I've said this over and over again, and, and, and this is something that's so a biblical concept we've got to embrace, that, that, that when you join the Lord where he's working, challenges and opposition should be expected from every one of us. Okay, that's just how it is. And this idea that when you follow the Lord, you're healthy, wealthy, and prosperous, you're safe, and it's all, that's just not what the Bible says. The Bible tells us there's opposition, there's challenges, there's threats. Now, here's what we see. Point number one, you see this in this text. And, and following Jesus is hard. 
That's point number one. Following Jesus is really hard. It's hard to follow him. Let's recognize this. Nehemiah knew who these people were. He didn't have his head in the sand here. Verse 1, looking back at verse 1, he straight up calls them enemies. He knew they intended to harm him. Let me ask you a question. Are you realistic about the enemies in your life? Let's recognize that the Bible tells us who our enemies are. Our enemy is not against flesh and blood. But think how often we take Satan's bait. And you know what I see in, in, in Nehemiah 6? You see the spiritual tactics that Satan uses against us. It's just plain, plainly revealed here. I think it's interesting. And, and I love it how right here in Nehemiah 6, Satan's strategy of temptation is staring us in the face. Let's look at it. Let's gain some insight into Nehemiah's, I I would call it his uh, Ephesians 6, 10, and 11 posture. That's what he has right here. You know what what Ephesians 6, 10, and 11 says? It says that finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the whole armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. And that's what Nehemiah's doing here. and, And you see three attacks right here from Nehemiah that I think really are, it's something we need to lean into because it reveals the spiritual attacks we face. The first attack you see, I've called it the chummy attack, or excuse me, the chummy tactic. It's like a chummy tactic. And don't you like that word chummy? Uh, Chummy, that's a cool word. You probably haven't used that in three weeks in your life, right? Uh, Look at verse one. It says, Sam Ballad and Geshem said to me, Hey, come, let's meet together in the villages of the Ono Valley. But Nehemiah knew, but they were planning to harm me. So I sent messengers to them saying, I'm doing a great work and cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it and go down to you? Verse 4. And they sent to me four times this way, and I answered in the same manner. Look at the chummy tactic here. Nehemiah's enemies, they, they had these high hopes. Hey, buddy, we're just like you. Come on, let's go hang out. Come on, man. Hey, let's get together. Come be, come hang with us. Let's get chummy, right? And when, think how often we are tempted at the spiritual, hey, get chummy with the world, right? As Christians, aren't we to look different than the world? Aren't we to act differently? Aren't you like me? Don't, aren't there times that you're embarrassed? Because people go, are you like a goody two-shoes? Why don't you come and hang with us? Think of all the temptations we get to come just be like the world. Nehemiah doesn't have his head in the sand here, and he didn't take the bait. And I think we need to learn, lean into that. Let's not take the chummy bait, the chummy bait here. So often, there's this idea in our lives, we want to see how close to sin we can get without sinning. And the Bible tells us the opposite. We need to flee from, we need to run. We need to walk through the doors, like 1 Corinthians 10, uh, 12 and 13. God will open a door of escape. We need to walk through the door. We need to run like Joseph ran. We need to avoid sin. Nehemiah what was he doing? He's like, I'm not going to go join you guys. I'm going to stay with God's people. That's wise. That's why coming together. So I, I, I was glad to go to the house of the Lord, David writes. I was glad to be together. That's why the Bible says, Hebrews 10, let's not forsake meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. We need one another. We need to, to lean into each other. There's that chummy tactic. And, we need to look at that. Proverbs 13, 20 says, He who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. Nehemiah was attuned to this. He didn't get chummy. That's an attack from the enemy. There's another attack, uh, the straight lie tactic. You see this right here. Context of this, he's like, uh, these guys say, hey, we're going to make up a lie about you. We're going to tell them you're, you're trying to become a king, and, and we're going to go back to... To, to the kings of Persia, and we're going to tell them, we're going to spread lies about you. And we're going we're to tell some lies, lies about you. You see the straight lie tactic of, of, 
of Satan here. And look how Nehemiah responded. Verse 8, then I sent to him saying, no such things as you say have been done, for you're inventing them out of your own mind. For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands would drop from the work and not be done. But now, O oh God, strengthen my hands, he prays. See, Satan will lie to you. He'll lie to me. You know what John 10.10 10 says? Jesus told us this. The thief comes with the steel to kill and to destroy. But Jesus says, I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. And, and you see Satan lying all the time. I mean, remember Matthew 4, Luke 4? That's that moment that Jesus was tempted by Satan himself. And remember, remember that? Uh, Jesus was, I mean, Satan lied to him. Though that, that experience after he'd fasted for 40 days, Satan had the gall to walk up to Jesus and go, hey, hey, Jesus, I'm going to, I'm going to show you all the kingdoms of the world. I'll give these to you if you bow down and worship me. What? Satan was talking to the king of all kings, the Lord of all lords. Satan had no authority or power to give Jesus squat. And what I love about that, like that text, I see it going down much differently. I, I see that when, I mean, if you read the text, you remember what Jesus did? I think it went down like this. Jesus was like, what would you say? Have you ever had that moment? Have you ever had someone go walk up to you going, what'd you say? You're like, whoa. Like, like a wrestler or someone that, like I had a good friend of mine, Chuck Thompson, who wrestled for Missouri, and he wrestled for my high school at 189. He was a great friend for a tennis player to have because I wasn't really that intimidating to people. But Chuck could go, what'd you say? And I'd be like, yeah, what'd, what'd you say? <laughs> but Jesus walked up to Satan, what'd you say? And then remember what he said? Hey, let me tell you something. You shall not tempt the Lord, your God. You know what the Bible says that Satan did? See ya. He got out of there because he knew that. Satan's going to lie to you. That's what he did here. This is a tactic. Don't take the bait. Don't do it. Then you see, as, the, as chapter 6 goes on, you see that scare tactic. That's one of the tactics of the enemy. He's going to try to scare you. You know, he's going to come to Shemaiah, this intimidation. Shemaiah was a religious guy. And, and he's like, hey, Nehemiah, come on, we got to talk, man. And this scare tactic, hey, man, this is going to be a problem. Let me, let me try to help you. Look, look, when this scare tactic goes underway, look at verse 11 um, of chapter 6. But I said, uh, you know, should such a man as I run away? I love this. When these guys are trying to intimidate him, he's like, I'm not running away. Boy, that, that, that motivates me. I want to be that kind of follower of Jesus that says, I will not run away from the Lord ever. Should such a man as I run away? What's, what man such as I should go into the temple and live with it? And I will not go in. That was the tactic. Hey, we got we to hide here. In verse 12, but I understood, look at this, I understood and saw that God had not sent him. But he had pronounced a, a prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. For this purpose he was hired that I should be afraid and act in this way in sin so they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. And let me tell you something, Satan will try to scare you and come against you. And we understand 1 Peter 5.8, be sober-minded and watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And this is how Satan does. He, he growls, right? I love Pilgrim's Progress. It's a book I read of. I read it every year, and there's a point of pilgrim's progress where Christian is walking through the valley of the shadow of death, and, and he's scared because what does he see? He sees two lions, and he stops in his tracks, and he's like, oh, no, there are these lions, but then there's this guide that's a follower of God, a follower of Christ, and he looks and says, hey, don't worry about the lions. They're chained. They can't harm you. See, when you're a follower of Jesus... You realize Satan is chained. He's going to scare you. He's going to, but he has no authority over you. I love it. You see this tactic, Satan's tactics here. But you know, as you look at chapter 6, as you walk through chapter 6, and as you understand Nehemiah, and let's, let's look at him. Let's, let's look at point number two. We need to pay attention to the private lives of spiritual giants. There are spiritual giants that walk with the Lord. Nehemiah is one of them. 
And, and I love how we get the Old Testament here to lean into the lives of the life of Nehemiah. He was one of these spiritual giants. Remember, he was a cupbearer to the king. So he was a political leader. He wasn't a religious leader. And God had put him in this position of influence. And, and, and you know, even as a, as a man that was a political leader, what did he do? We know this. Ezra and Nehemiah are these incredible examples of two men that they knew the word of God. This is why you need to know the word, word of God. You need to study the word of God. You've got to be in the word of God. You need to know what it says. We need to be able to take these Psalm 122s and make connections to Ezra and Nehemiah and then be able to understand what the New Testament says. We need to know the law of God. That's, that was Nehemiah's life. You need to do this. It's not just for preachers to do. It's for you to do. He did the law of God. That's what Nehemiah did. He put it into practice. You need to follow Jesus. That's why we're a church that says, let's push one another to walk forward. That's just the Lord getting your attention. So, okay, come on, let's go. We push one another. We teach. He taught the Word of God generationally. That's the big lesson, the generational teaching of the Word of God. And, and let's look at the private life of Nehemiah. You see it up close and personal. Uh, you, you know what you see here? One thing you see in Nehemiah's life as we lean into him, you see that seeking God sharpens your perception. Do you know that when you seek the Lord, your perception is going to be sharp. You're going you're to be able to recognize Satan's attacks. You're going to know what to do in your life. Boy, I think about right now how important it is for us to have the wisdom of God. Seeking God will sharpen your perception. Seek the Lord. Oh, my goodness, seek the Lord. Let's be a church that seeks the Lord. Look at verse 12. You see what he's doing here. I understood and I saw that God had not sent him. But he had pronounced the prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sambalat had hired him. Look how, look how Nehemiah's seeking of God helped him see Shemaiah's plot. And this whole plot. Hey, look. We need to seek the Lord. Um, every week, without apology, those who preach here will get up and give an invitation. What is that invitation? Hey, let's get on our knees to the Lord. You, can, you don't have to come down front. But hey, we, we probably ought to ask ourselves a question here. Are we really a people that seek the Lord? Really? Nehemiah did. And he was sharp. He was able to discern. Hey, are we just kind of going through the motions here? Are we a people seeking the Lord? Hey, these days are too wacky. And these times are too tough for us not to be a body of believers that seek the Lord. I better be a pastor that seeks the Lord. You know what? Whatever you're called to do, you better seek the Lord. I'm not saying that like threatening. I'm saying, hey, we know better. We know Jesus. Let's seek the Lord. Nehemiah is sharp. His perception is sharp because he was seeking the Lord. You know what else you see, Nehemiah? Notice this. You see that prayer is always a priority. This is a big deal. We need to learn to pray. This is not, this is something we got to learn to do, folks. We got to do more than pray over our food. Or now I lay me down to sleep, uh, whatever that thing is. We need to pray. You know, Nehemiah and Ezra were praying, and that changed them. Look at, look at how they prayed. Look at verse 9 in chapter 6. You see this popcorn prayer right here. For, all they wanted, for they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work and it will not be done. Look what he prays. But now, oh God, strengthen my hands. This is that popcorn prayer. Hey, God, this is hard. Help me. How many times have, this okay, it's good to be in a spot. Lord, I need your help right now. We ought to have these popcorn prayers that we're going, hey, Lord, hey, I need you. We pray without ceasing. We're always turning to the Lord. We're always quick to turn to the Lord. Let's be quick to turn to the Lord. Popcorn prayers, that's a good habit. That's a good practice. Popcorn prayers. 
Do you know what else you see in Nehemiah? You see the long prayers, the prayers that take meditation, the prayers that take constant coming to the Lord, constant work. Look at verse 14. He says, Lord, remember Tobiah and Sambalat? <laughs> God, remember? Hey, remember? How many times have we said, God, do you remember this? Of course he does. But he doesn't get mad that Nehemiah is like, Lord, remember them. Oh, my God, according to these things that they did. And also the prophets, prophetess Noadiah and the rest of the prophets who wanted to make me afraid. These are prophets that were coming against Nehemiah. Think about the pressure of that. These are influential people coming against him. And he's praying constantly, Lord, help me with this. Lord, I want to lean into you. Lord, I'm bringing this to you again. Lord, this is a burden to me. Lord, this is a fear I have. And let's lean into the prayer life of, of Nehemiah, that prayer was always a priority for him because he's doing the quick prayers, but then also he's going to the Lord over and over again. Folks, let me tell you something. We've got to be a church that prayer is a priority. That's why it makes me lean into that question, are we seeking the Lord? Are we resistant when invitations are given? And I'm not saying that at you. I'm saying that with you. But I'll be honest with you, there, there are times that I'm resistant when invitations are given. And we gotta, we gotta, we gotta seek the Lord. We gotta make prayer a priority. Another thing you see in his life, look at this, connecting with God, God's word is intentional with Nehemiah. And this is true about Ezra, it's true about Nehemiah, it needs to be true with us, that, that connecting with God's word, this week I, was, I had finished up Psalm 119 in my quiet time, and I, I broke it up this time because that's just a really long, it's the longest chapter in the Bible, and, and sometimes I just read that too quick. But I came across verse 41 and 42, and I think it's really interesting in light of Nehemiah's life. Psalm 119, 41 and 42 says, look at this. Let your steadfast love come to me, O Lord. Your salvation according to your promise. Psalm 119 is about the word of God. The promises of God in his word. Look at this, verse 42. Then I shall have an answer for him who taunts me. For I trust in your word. Now, now God's word gives us confidence when taunts come, Right? When, when the bully, Satan, comes and makes us fearful, or Satan comes and, and he makes us, uh, he lies to us, or, or Satan comes and wants us to be chummy with him, right? And it's the Word of God that, that helps us. And, and think about, look at verses 11 through 13 of chapter 6. Remember, he was being taunted, and Nehemiah recognized the taunts. Let's, 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 let's lean into that, that, that the Word of God will help connecting God's Word to your life will help you observe these taunts. And that's the life of Nehemiah. And another thing that you see in Nehemiah, and this is so cool here, look at verse 15 and 16. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the, mouth of, of the month of Elul in 52 days. And when all our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in, in their own esteem, for they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. You know what Nehemiah did? When you, he was a guy that supernatural experiences had become the norm for him. And can I tell you, when you, when you're seeking the Lord, when you're learning to pray, when you're connecting God's word to your life, guess what? Supernatural experiences, they're just normal. That's like, that's like a day that ends in why, right? And, and, and that's, that's, Boy, the world needs to see a group of people that are seeking the Lord. The world needs to see a, a group of people that know how to pray. The world needs to see a group of people that are connecting God's Word to their life because the world needs Christ. And when, when God is at work in us supernaturally, the world, like they look at Jerusalem and recognize Jesus, they look at us and recognize the Lord. And, and this is why... You look at the character of Nehemiah, the life of Nehemiah. 
He was seeking the Lord. And you know what God's doing in the lives of his people? He's done this all through history. He's invited us to join him where he's working. Why? Because God loves people. And God wants the world to know him. And this is why for us, we've got to be a a church that seeks the Lord. Now, point three, and I love this. Because chapter seven, it goes goes in this long list of names, and, these, and we're not going to break down their history here, but let's look at verses 1 through 4. Because one of the point three is this, amazing works of God. You know what that does? It sets us up for the next step. We're going to have a next step to take as a church. God's people here had a next step to take. The, the, the city had been rebuilt. The altar had been rebuilt. Look at their next step. Verse 1 of chapter 7. Now when the wall had been built and I had set up the doors and the gatekeepers and the singers and the Levites have been appointed. Remember, I'm thankful that I get to go to the house of the Lord to worship. What do they do? They, They start worshiping the Lord. They're coming into the house of the Lord with these singers and gatekeepers. Verse 2, I gave my brother Hanani and Hananiah, the governor of the castle, charge over Jerusalem. For he was more faithful. He was a more faithful and God-fearing man than many. And you know what? What a cool description of these guys. I look at that and that inspires me. I want the Lord to look at me and go, Chris, you're a God-fearing and faithful man. Don't you want to be a God-fearing and faithful man or a God-fearing and faithful woman? Of course we do. And and I said to them, verse 3, Let not the gates of Jerusalem be open until the sun is hot. And while they are still standing guard, let them shut and bar the doors. Appoint guards from among the inhabitants of Jerusalem and and at their guard post and some in front of their own homes. You know, they, they they had a spiritual battle to engage. They had to be ready for the battle here. Now think about how we've got to be ready for the battle here. And then verse 4, the city was wide and large, but the people within it were few, and no houses had been rebuilt. So what are they doing? What's their next step? they got to populate the city. they they gotta, they got to build homes, and, and they got to grow the population. Now, there's a lot of analogies you could make, a lot of things you could say. I don't know, my, my evangelistic heart here, this life that God saved that I didn't deserve, didn't deserve it, couldn't earn it, Jesus saved me. I think about this call to repopulate. You know, Jesus says, wide is the way that leads to destruction. Narrow is the way that leads to eternal life. I look at this city. I look at our call to Tulsa. I look at the number of people that speak Spanish around us and think, man, people need Jesus. And I look at our call to be a church that's focused on the gospel, that's living out our faith, that's more passionate about about Jesus than they are about, I want to be more passionate about Jesus than my Twitter following or my Facebook likes. Rather, people know Christ than me. I I, I pray that we are a church that has a heart for, for the mission field. I've been praying all year that we have a missionary mindset. And that is shaping us, and that is shaping me. And, and, and you know, when I look at this, there's so much more to say here. But, but I think about our call to, to prepare for, like, like Nehemiah and, and Ezra, they were preparing for the first coming of Christ. And I look at us, we are called to prepare the world for the second coming of Christ. Because let me tell you something, just like God kept his word through the prophets of Ezra to Ezra and Nehemiah, you bank on it. God will keep his word for the future prophecies that have not yet come to pass. And I'll tell you, we got, we got a job to do. 
You know what I see in this passage? That, that, that no one arrives this side of eternity. No one arrives on this side of eternity. And I think Andy might be right in his book called On the Glory Revealed that, that even when we get to heaven, our work does not cease. Our learning does not cease. Our understanding will continue. And I think it's very... So be encouraged. We're not just going to hear Brad Ayler sing for eternity. We might, he may sing better in heaven. I don't know. Maybe so. I say that respectfully, but... As I can. As I can. But, but, you know, when I think about this call, you know, I, see, I see this, Ephesians 3, 17, and I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, you may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. And every time God completes a work, you know what? There's a, there's a next step to take. And this is why I, uh, I look at this call of Nehemiah, and I, and, and I, and I think about the tough times that, that we're facing now. And I can honestly say, like Psalm 122 starts, I, I, I'm glad that I can come to the house of the Lord today. I'm glad that I can come and be with my church family today. I'm glad that I can be a part of a people that, that is going to push one another to, to, to obey the Lord, to walk with the Lord, to, 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 to trust the Lord more. Like that old saying goes, Lord, may I love you more dearly, see you more clearly, follow you more nearly. But can we just, can I just say, are you coasting as a follower of Jesus? Are you just kind of coasting? Look, I look at Nehemiah and the work that God invites us to do and then go, man, we, we can't coast. I look at our day and the challenges we're facing and look, we can't coast. We got work to do. We don't have time to take the bait of, of the chummy bait or the, or the get, get all in the, stuck in the lies that Satan throws at us. Or, or uh, we don't have time to, to be afraid. We got work to do. And that's what Nehemiah did. And that's what I want to say to you. Let's be a church that seeks the Lord. Let's be a church that without, without hesitation, when an invitation is given, we go, Lord, I'm, I'm ready. I'm, I'm coming. I'm going to be quick to my knees, pray. I'm going to be quick to, to connect God's word to my life. I'm going to be quick, Lord, to seek those supernatural moments. You know, are you coasting? Stop. Stop coasting. You know, some of you may come have come today. And you're like Mark Clifford. You, you know what I'm amazed at? All my ministry, I've watched people that I've known for a long time come to me and say, man, Chris, I've been in church a long time, and I'm just not even saved. I need Jesus. Mark Clifford was a kid in my youth ministry at Council Road, and golly, I loved him so much. He's so talented. I saw him coming to my ministry as a seventh grader. He's so talented, such a talented musician. I said, Mark, you've got to lead worship. I go, I'm, I'm quitting leading worship. I quit playing guitar you're, you're in charge. you got six months to learn to play. Mark, Mark learned to play guitar in six months and was better than it. And he, he realized, hey, you're not that good at guitar. I go, I told you. 
He led worship for our student ministry. He was doing such a great job. One of the greatest leaders in our ministry. We go to camp. He'd been leading worship for a year in our youth ministry. It's better than it ever been. We're, we're at camp. He comes up to me at False Creek and says, I got to talk to you. I go, what's up? I need to get saved. I was like, what? Mark, I was trying to talk him out of it. He's like, hey, you need to stop. God has spoken to me. I've been going through the motions my whole life. I need to get saved. And I was like, okay, hey, man, I ain't God. So if he's spoken to you, come to Jesus. And Mark, I baptized him a few weeks later. And he was different after that. You know what? Some of you may be here. You're like Mark. You've been going through the motions and you're like, man, I just, you know, we had a lady walk up to me at the end of the last service. I said, that's me. I've been going through the motions. Judy Reed and I led her to Christ today. Is that you? Hey, look. Do you know how gracious God is? He loves you so much. And I don't want you to, I don't want you to miss him. And so today, seek the Lord. You know what the Bible says? If you seek him, you will find him. Ah, seek the Lord. We're going to have an invitation, and Brandon's going to come up. And, you know, this is a beautiful song that he's going to lead us into. I'm not saying you have to come and bow at the altar, because you can bow your seat, you can engage the Lord. You don't need me to help you engage the Lord. But, oh, we, I sure would. We would. And I do think there's power and importance of bowing our knee in the house of the Lord. We've got to make this a place. We've got to make sure that we aren't afraid to come get on our knees because of what someone else thinks. We gotta be a church that seeks the Lord. Father, thank you for Nehemiah. And Lord, just this historical event, the Jerusalem was rebuilt. But oh, it's got so much for us. Thank you. Would you speak even now? Move us now? Would you save someone now? Lord, we're seeking you now. In your name, amen.